Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place Podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock, and super excited to have with me today, Sarah Payton. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here with you. Yes, I just was asking you how to introduce you, because I'm telling you, when I went to your About Sarah page on your website, I was blown <laughs> away and just I'm very, very cool, uh, all that you were doing. So author, and look. I'm going to hold it up now. Oh, <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. And then you present and you have online courses. So talk to us about what it is you're doing. Well, my, my deepest, most delicious passion is for healing. It, it, so I'm delighted to be with you and to have this conversation with you today. We often think that healing is is something difficult or hard to do, or or that that it won't come unless we just position ourselves exactly right. But really, it's our birthright. It's our it, given half a chance with resonance. Our brains are like, ah, I can put these pieces together. I don't have to stay stuck in the past. And so uh, I feel a tremendous excitement about the healing of trauma which is very funny i was on an airplane and this the host the air host people were like what do you do and i'm like i travel around the world and i talk about how to heal trauma and they're like you must be so tired and i was like no are you kidding this is the most exciting work in the world and it's the most hopeful because as soon as you move into a space of resonance, people's brains begin to go click, 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 and this, and this, and this, and oh, and oh, there's strength. I was just working in Europe, and a woman said she'd like to do a bit of time travel um, So, uh, with a moment in her past that was difficult for her. And it was a moment of really intense verbal abuse and humiliation. We stepped back through time. We, we accompanied the little one that was in her memory with resonance, with warmth, with acknowledgement. She goes, this little girl is strong. <laughs> oh, I, I love like, it. Yeah. She was like, this little girl loves intensely. I was like, yes. And this is what we so often find when we begin. It's almost like the, mem the trauma memories grab our life energy and tie it in knots so that we can't use it. And when we begin to kind of bring warmth and understanding and of course and acknowledgement to our past selves then these trauma knots dissolve and that life energy then becomes available to us you got me all teary-eyed for a second that's beautiful <laughs> yes Aww. and it's so so true and i love yeah. it and i i resonated with what you were saying about the working in the trauma mm. field the, there is so much hope i do a newsletter and it's called hope for healing that's the uh. name of my newsletter because and i have a regular nine to five job own a business and that's work this mm. I put more effort and time and energy into this, but it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I you're right. There's just so much hope in it. Um, mm. and it's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And the passion of it, it sounds like the passion of it just yeah. kind of carries you along <laughs> like a current in the river of life. Yes. Very okay. much so. 
Yeah. I saw that you're headed to what Oslo and uh, Germany and uh, the U S and May. Yeah. 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 I just think that's phenomenal. So oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'll be, uh, I, uh, this, this, this week I brought my, my Russian constellations teacher. So I do three things. I do neuroscience education. So for example, if we're talking about trauma, I get to say, the, the amygdala has no sense of time. The part of the brain that stores tra- trauma memory doesn't timestamp memory, which means that we can have flashbacks all the time, but it also means that we're forever available for resonant support and healing. Is So, you know, it's like those trauma moments are suspended in time and they can torture us with their suspension, but that suspension also means we get to go to them. Whenever we meet somebody who can travel with us or we read the book or, or we begin to, you know, to hear this podcast and do a little time travel. And another thing I get to teach about is the beautiful work of Ruth Lanius that shows the importance of time travel. I don't know if you know what the default mode network is. I do not. The default mode network is what our brain does when we are quiet and we're not directing our brain to do anything in particular. So the default mode network, everybody's got them. Everybody has a default mode network. You have it before you're born. You have it till the day you die. It's what makes our dreams. It's what creates our nightmares if we have nightmares at night. It's what lets us daydream, be creative. And it also is that torturous inner critic. And the more trauma we've lived through, the more torturous the inner critic is. And uh, when we look at brains that are tortured by their inner critic, we can look at them on MRIs and they look different. We can actually physically see that a brain that's torturing itself is working differently than a brain that's not torturing itself. And Ruth Lanius did a case study where she did before and after brain fMRIs for people who had torturous default mode networks. And uh, then they did time travel after the first fMRI. They did a time travel to be with the younger self who had had the difficult event. And then after the time travel, she looked at their brains again, and their default mode network looked better. You can see it. You can see the kind of work that you support, the kind of work that I support. You can see it changing people's brains. Oh, I always, yeah, I love to yeah. talk about making the brain a good place to live. Yeah. And that, making, and that falls, I mean, I'm, I'm instantly thinking of, you know, neuroplasticity and the way the yeah. brain, you can change. And I've talked about it on the podcast before, how when I would have a severe panic attack kick in, I, I couldn't think my way, rationalize my way out of it. I was just yeah. responding and I, and yeah physiologically responding and no matter what I I just couldn't make myself and I and I would get be so hard on myself you know Terry you're such a smart person you can get through this you can talk your way out of it and I just couldn't do it yeah once I started to understand brain plasticity and Mm. changing habitual patterns and creating new neuron pathways Mm. and giving myself coping skills wow, was I able to make some great strides in overcoming my panic attacks and in the symptoms that would arise, knowing my triggers. But yeah, oh, brain plasticity, that fascinates me and I love it. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah, I love it too. I'm celebrating that movement that you made. I mean, it's such a profound movement from the intensity of the panic attack, the alarm state, where your whole neurobiology just takes over with reactivity to try to save your life, and that gradual building of the neurons that can hold that much alarm. I mean, that is a lot of work. Yeah. I often think about those neurons that were growing as like a permaculture garden. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so beautiful. <laughs> and that the plants in the permaculture garden have to get big enough to hold the enormity of our panic or our rage or our terror or our alarmed aloneness. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, I have a beautiful vision in my head of that, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, so, so talk to us about your book and about the meditations and mm. what, the, what the book is about. Uh, okay. Uh, I had started to talk about my Russian constellations. Oh, yeah. So I'll go just ahead, put, a little, I'll put a little bookmark on that, and then we'll, we'll go to the book <laughs> first. Um, the, uh, the book is... Um, it, uh, I ha I, uh, this is a little bit sad, but I mean it's quite sad, but it's important. I think I have a son who died, oh. and he died. He died of alcoholism, so and sorry. he was an adopted son. And the trauma of his early life was too great to for him to be able to figure out how to survive it. The PTSD was so bad that he um, that he ended up just uh, following the path of alcohol until he died very very young. Oh. And yeah, it's very intense, but I was working really hard to save him. You know, I was trying to figure out how the heck could I mobilize everything that I was learning to create uh, some sort of process, idea, coherent theory that would hold trauma so that people wouldn't have to die. And um and that is essentially the book. I mean, that was like the work of the book was trying to figure out how do we hold trauma with so much warmth and gentleness and acknowledgement and care that that we will make it through, that we can make it through. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the book. And it's got a number of different elements. It's got a little very sweet neuroscience education a lot of warm, resonant holding of the self with lots of acknowledgement. And it has these guided meditations, which actually you don't even have to buy the book to get. You can get them on my website, yourresonantself.com, for free download. Um, and there's a series of, of 13 uh, of these meditations that take you through step-by-step step how, to, how to begin to make your brain a good place to live. Yeah. And we start with something really simple, which I found so completely startling the first time that I experienced it. It's a guided meditation about breathing and about how our attention is supposed to travel everywhere to try to keep us safe. And the more that we've lived in uh, an unsafe world, the less easy it will be for our attention to focus just on our breath because our attention is going to be like this is not going to save my life i need to be focused on everything that is happening in the inner and outer world to be able to save my life are you kidding me focus on my breath <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes i've talked yeah. about that before and well one i talked about the fact that i had trouble 
initially with the breathing work that we were working on in therapy because uh, it brought attention to the fact that I was in my body and I wanted to be anywhere but in my body. Because mm. being in my body meant that I was anxious and I was having anxiety or I was having yeah. a, a panic attack or all that ick yeah. in there. And so, but again, once I started the healing mm. journey and started to create new habitual patterns, then I started to understand mm. being able to use breath to just center myself and bring myself back to the now. So yeah, mm. I get it. Yeah. 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 And of course, as soon as we stop focusing on things that are really absorbing, then the default mode network gets a chance to kick up. So we're also in relationship with the default mode network and how, and how intense or critical or anxious that network is as soon as we turn our attention to breathing. So this guided meditation is just about being in a warm relationship with our attention no matter where it goes, that we get to say, thank you, attention. Thank you for going over here. Thank you for going over there. <laughs> of course you would think that the pain in my back is more important than my breath. And uh, and just gently bring it back, just a, a sort of a starting point for right. mindfulness right. that that gives us a little bit of a, a little bit of juice, a little bit of warmth juice to help it work. Yeah. And so then, and then the meditations go on from there. There's all different kinds of meditations for to support the the nourishment of these permaculture gardens of neurons. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Very cool. All right, so we'll loop back around again. Looping back around. <laughs> yeah, I do three things. I do neuroscience education. I do what I call resonant language, which is learning what kinds of words, what ways we use language that take us into the healing space. Because our brain has two ways of looking at the world. It has a reductive way of looking at the world where we analyze stuff and we give advice and we try to solve problems and we get things done. And it has a kind of a land of poetry that is connected to the body and in which we are fluid, non-static beings. And as soon as we bring this language of resonance to our healing work, then the brain starts to go, oh, I can make sense. Ah, I'm understood. Because there are so many messages that are coming from the body that are coming up. And when messages come up from the body, they want to be heard. It's like there's a completion of the circuit. If we're angry, and we can feel it and name it, of course I'm angry, then our body goes, yeah, she got that message. We can let go of that one. But if we've been told our whole lives it's not okay to be angry and we, can't, we can never speak of it if it happens to happen, then we'll be angry, but we won't get to talk about it. The message never gets received. The tension just stays in the body because that circuit doesn't get to be completed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I called it like stored negative energy is, yeah. is how I felt. And when I finally was able to, again, start the healing process, Oh my gosh, releasing all of that stored up negative energy from the traumas was incredible. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So 
I'm just enjoying the thought of that. The thought of the body, be, the thought of all of our bodies being cleared of the backed up messages that want to be heard, yes. you know, that are coming from the traumas. And, if, and, and, and I think sometimes in me, they feel negative when they're in there and they haven't been named. But then when I get to like really have them and celebrate them they aren't even negative anymore it's like the life-serving power of rage the acknowledgement of bone cracking terror you know the that's the a great oceans. way to look at it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the oceans of grief that we may carry yeah 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 beautifully beautifully positive uh look at way to look at it yeah yeah yeah, yeah i like that because then i'm i'm less uh there's more motivation to get it out, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have less of a sense that we're dumping it on our friends and therapists and <laughs> clients and lovers and people, you know, family Strangers members. on the street. <laughs> <laughs> Strangers on the street. I'm so angry, sir. thing that I do is this marvelous modality that's very peculiar which is called family constellations or systemic constellation work and it's where you take the elements of a question and you put them into 3d space so you can put them into 3d space with objects you can say oh here's my mother this is her nose she's looking this way here I am here's my nose and I'm, I'm not looking at her. I'm looking over here. You know, uh, you can do it with objects. And you can also do it with people. And you can have a whole circle of people. And you can say, okay, here's what I'm working with. I'm working with, um, I, I want to do my next step on why I eat compulsively. And the person who's facilitating the constellation will say, huh. I'd love to see you and your mother and food. Let's put them out, see what they do. And you go, okay, I want you to play food. I want you to be my mother. I want you to be me. I want to look at this from the outside. Here's how I'm going to set these elements up in relationship to each other. And that movement of the question from the inside of our brain into 3D space so that we can look at it, see where it's stuck, and notice what's missing that needs to be named that allows the system to kind of organize itself and settle. Feels to me like we're getting to play in the brain. It feels yeah. like we're getting to bring our brains, what happens inside of these skulls into shared space and begin to look at what are the elements that need to be named. And, uh, and I love this work. And my most beloved teacher, it lives in Russia and is Russian and speaks Russian. And the marvelous thing is that I was a Russian interpreter when I was in my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I have the honor every few, every few years of bringing her over to the United States and interpreting for her. It's the only interpreting I do anymore. And she just arrived and I just got news that we, we get to go into the women's prison South of Portland, wow. Oregon and do constellation work in there for the women who, and when you're somebody who ends up in prison, most often in our society, this is about um, not having had any education, not having had enough money to be able to get therapy. 
And so we are, it's almost like our prisons are um, they, what they feel like to me. I've been doing prison work for about 13 years. Uh, it feels to me like they are our addiction treatment centers. And, you know, for, for folks that don't have any resources to be able to get into addiction treatment. Yeah. 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 And you know what else just popped in my head? It's almost like they're orphanages for yes. these inner children who are oh. most likely, I would say the odds are in the favor of being traumatized. Tremendous trauma. Unbelievable yeah. trauma. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, all of the regular ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences, you yeah. know, in the plus, you know, six plus range, which right. as we know is incredibly destructive for human life. Right. And, the, and then in addition, you know, there are other things that aren't even on the ACEs. Uh, right. Uh, uh, questionnaire for years in the prison. I took a survey. How many people have seen someone die? Yeah. And that's not on the aces. You know, you could see somebody die in a car accident. You could see somebody died by gunfire in front of you. You can see a child die in a, you know, just in a freak accident. So many of the women in prison, almost everybody raised their hand. Yeah. And almost all seen someone die. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, again, I score a 10 out of 10. Crazy. Uh, yeah. And, but I also saw someone die. I saw a girl get hit on a bike and uh, yeah. yeah, but then, yeah. you know, you take in, obviously I know that there's much more that's taken into account now, like bullying or racism yeah. and all yeah. of those factors you add yeah. all of that on. And yeah. Yeah. Right. But positive news is the resilience part of it and building resilience and yeah. work you're doing, the beautiful work yeah. you're doing in yeah. helping people heal i mean it's it that that aces score is not a death sentence it's not gosh no it's just gosh, more no. an indicator of hey this is what's happened let's acknowledge it and hopefully yeah. in another hundred years it'll be like a um like a medical diagnosis right. you know that right. will just go oh and here's and here's some of the treatment that we want you to have and and here's the sources of that treatment and no you don't have to come up with extra money to pay for it wouldn't that yeah. be beautiful wouldn't yeah. that be beautiful yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. so it's very special to me to get to go into the prison and do this work cuz it's quite extraordinary you get to take giant steps. You know how you take baby steps in therapy all the time. Yeah. There's something about taking out outside of yourself and putting it into the space of a constellation where you get to look at it from outside and you get to go, oh, ah, and all kinds of things begin to fall into place. It you mentioned, fun. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned um, seeing a child die. In, on a bicycle, yeah. Um, something very similar happened. We were we were working in the prison, and somebody said, "I don't have any memories after the age of eight. And I said, "Oh well, what happened when you were eight? She said, "Well, I was riding with my friend on bikes, and I turned left, and he turned right, and he was killed. Oh my God! Yeah. And she and so we, we what we did was we brought. She chose a representative for herself, and she chose a representative for the boy. Mm -hmm. And she realized that a part of herself had gone with him. Yeah. That a part of herself didn't, that, that the part of herself that would remember was gone. It had tried to go with him, even though she hadn't died. 
And so that first constellation was a reclamation of the self that had gone with him. And we, we got to go back three months later. She said, Sarah, I've had so many memories. Oh. Now we need to do a constellation to organize my memories because they're a jumble. I have just gotten them back in the last three months and, I have, and they just overwhelmed me. So we took it and we went through her life and she got to see it from the outside and figure out what the chronology was. It's like you can feel the brain healing. You can feel it doing the work of reorganization. Yeah. Now, is this something that people can do on their own, or is it something that you need to work with someone that's specialized in in this it's, work? Well, once you learn the theory, you can begin to play with it. Any anytime you can go, oh, do you mean I have in my brain a 3D representation of relationships that I don't even know about? There's a grid. We actually have a grid of relational connection and body memory in our brain that even remembers or thinks or imagines what way somebody's head is turned. We've been able to see this with research. Okay, so anyway, you go, oh my God, my brain works this way. I'm going to start playing with this with my cup and my thermos. But you, but uh, it's, it's, very, um, it's very fun to do it in groups. It's very fun and very interesting and very powerful. And it's called constellation work or family constellations or systemic constellations. And there are practitioners all over the world and all over North America. And if folks need to find, if you want to find a practitioner, then you can write to me and I'll put out a call into the network and find out who's closest to you. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And then do people, so, so if you are doing this with other people, it's not it's not role playing. They don't talk or say things, right? They do actually talk and say things, okay. but it's it's more extraordinary than role playing. Okay. There's something about being placed as an element of a question that um, that brings very interesting results. Yeah. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I, I, yeah. I want to do it. I just oh. I find it very intriguing. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's, it is very intriguing. Where are you physically? Cincinnati in Ohio. Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh-huh, in Ohio. I'll be in Washington, D.C. in two weeks. Are we? Okay. Yes. Yes. That's as close as I'm coming to <laughs> <Right>. Ohio this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably yeah. a hike. <laughs> but there are practitioners in your area so okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you can awesome. take a look and see who's there okay. yeah and um and so uh so i'm very excited to be going in and to be taking my russian teacher and yeah. uh, she's and ever since i told her that i worked in the prison she's just been so interested and excited to go in and to experience what is this like because in russia the prisons are very locked down. There's yeah. there's no way to get in to oh, to do yeah. any kind of work with that with oh. the folks who yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So this is a well, it's very interesting about the prison. So many of the women say it's I don't want to be here, but it actually saved my life to be arrested and and convicted. It's a, it's quite an interesting well it's quite I think an interesting piece of our puzzle. Yeah, and as more people start to understand the healing work that needs to be done and go into the prisons and start to help that maybe as they exit, they can exit healed or at least yeah. on the healing journey. 
Yeah, and they get it, you know, I mean, I would love to see just mass amounts of volunteer healing work going into prison. I would love that so much. Yeah, because if you don't, if you're making minimum wage, how the heck do you stretch to pay a therapist? You know? Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So any myths or facts that you would like to clarify for listeners? Um, well, we, we kind of started out with one, which was the idea that, um, that healing is hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there can be intensity, but there's also this discovery of strength. And I think that if we begin to know that, then, then we have more confidence to take the next steps in our healing journeys. The other thing I think is, um, that the most important thing is not whether or not you have a good therapist or whether they're skilled, that the most important thing is whether they love you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that, that the most important thing is that you have a sense that your person, your therapy person, whatever kind of therapy it is that you do, and I believe that body work can be just as transformative as, as talk therapy oh. and that both together can be extraordinary. But just this sense of being delighted in, I think, is it can be a little tricky to find. Um, but I think that if we know that this is what we're looking for, we'll be more likely to recognize it when it comes. Yeah, I've yeah. had people. Yeah, I've had people say to me, um, "I didn't even realize that I needed warmth until I was about ten years in, and then I was like, oh." I need some warmth. <laughs> and it may have been that before that time, the warmth would have been unbearable. So yeah. we need to keep that in mind as well. That if it feels right, it feels right. Even if there's no delight, if it still feels right, it feels right. Because sometimes that delight and warmth, if we've never had it before, can be really disturbing and disorienting. Yes. Yeah. So Fair that's one of, the, one of the things I like to think about is this journey, who do we find and how do they feel to us and what do we need and what do we become aware that we need and how was it just right before? Yeah. 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 I, I, I instantly, I mean, I smiled because I'm trying to think if I have it in here. My therapist went to, where is it? My, oh, I'm so drawing a blank. It's um, the top of this mountain. Piku, Pichu. Oh, Machu Picchu? Machu Picchu, yes, that's it. And she brought me back, and I don't have it in here, but I collect hearts, and so oh. she brought me back something very similar, like a heart oh. stone. But she found at the top of it. Oh, <laughs> I, that's was, cool. I mean, I was so touched, and here she gave me this beautiful yeah. heart gift. Um, so, yes, I four years together, I... I very much felt that connection with her and we were able to do incredible work together, I think, because of that. So And she remembered you. Yeah. At yeah. the top of a mountain. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> yeah, I love it. You know, one thing you said just a, a few minutes ago was um about the grids and one of the things we did and i don't know if it's along the same lines so i'm just and i don't know if you know the answer but you probably do uh brain spotting and so oh brain spotting is marvelous yeah so we we did a little bit of that we took a break from emdr for a while just because we had i had stalled 
Mm. Um, but we knew there was still some stuff that needed to be mm. looked at. And so we did some brain spotting work and boy, yeah, did that, did that bring some things to the surface um, oh, without great. saying anything just by, you know, doing the brain spotting work. Noticing what the eyes do, where they stop. Yeah. What happens with the memory? Yes. And what this, was, what was surfacing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this relationship between the inside world and what we're doing on the outside world. Yeah. It's totally fascinating. It is fascinating. I just yeah. I love it all. <laughs> yeah. 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 And one more thing that, that came into my head was as you were talking, and it made me think about when you were saying about how we learn our strengths, even though it's scary to go back in there, is my favorite hashtag that I put on almost everything that I put out into the social media world is hashtag trauma warrior, because oh, I look at myself as a trauma warrior that I not only survived, but I thrived. Oh. And I love the idea of all of us who have been through trauma of becoming trauma warriors. Oh. Yeah. And not, not warrior from a, from a fighting you know, stand, but just the fact that we're strong and the, that resource, that sense of embodied resource yeah, and empowerment mm. of mm, empowerment. Yeah. And knowing, knowing our own strength of, of overcoming. So mm. yeah, there you go. My thoughts. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So I have to ask you one of my favorite, favorite questions. Okay. If you could meet anyone in the world dead or alive to help you with your continued journey, personal, mm. professional, or both, who would it be? It would be Beatrice Beebe. Beatrice Beebe is a researcher who lives in New York City. She has vertigo, so she does not get to travel. So I have to figure out how to get to a conference or something that she's at. But she um, has been for 40 years doing research on babies at about four months of age. And what she does is she takes close video, high-definition video, of uh, the baby and the mom playing for four minutes. And then she looks at those, at, at, at that video, screen by screen, like a hundredth of a second at a time. Wow. And she's been doing this for 40 years, and what she sees is the microcosm of attachment. In, a, in, in this three- or four-minute video segment, she can uh, predict with 85% accuracy what someone's attachment style, what a baby's attachment style is going to be at one year old. Wow. She, yes, she, she's in the microcosm of timing, responsiveness, um, uh, facial expressions, and she's discovered some very remarkable things. And one of the things that she's discovered is that by the age of four months, we have already internalized what is our mother's facial expression vocabulary. How widely does she smile? And if she, and we will not smile wider than she smiles. Oh. Does her face easily reflect sadness? If her face doesn't reflect sadness, we lose sadness, all of the nuances of sadness in our facial expressions. If she does not do anger, we do not show the nuances of anger. 
Now, the emotions will still break through with babies. You know, they'll wail with grief or scream with anger, but they won't have a con. They're already by four months. They've lost the sense that their emotions make sense. Wow. If they are not reflected easily by the mother, which of course has intense implications for those of us who, who uh, had postnatal depression after our babies were born. And we can just acknowledge that with mourning that there was an impact and we may need to do healing work. And, but, but the, the wonder of this. Yeah. Yeah. Is quite interesting. Uh, it speaks to us about the transgenerational transmission of cultural and familial limitations on emotion and uh, also speaks about many aspects of attachment. Uh, what she what she noticed uh, and other researchers have noticed is that, for example, avoidantly attached mothers, mothers uh, who are more doers rather than beers, uh, will smile smaller than their baby so the baby starts to get this sense of oh my life energy is too much i need to sh close it down yeah uh, or uh the the mothers will pick their avoidantly attached mothers will pick their babies up just as much as other mothers this isn't beatrice Beebe's research this is someone else's but it's to the point um they'll pick their babies up just as much as other mothers but not when they're crying so an avoidantly attached mother teaches her baby, don't cry to me. Take care of that on your own. I'll hold you if you're angry. I'll hold you if you're scared. But don't bring your sadness to me. Wow. And that's profound. Yeah. 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 Wow. Very cool. And I mean, yeah. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and she now, has, for, for anybody who's getting like interested in this, she has written maybe six books. She has one photo book where you can see this stuff in detail. That's like uh, 200 pages of black and white photo strips of the mothers and the babies for, for you can sort of see the, the patterns visually. Yeah. What's so interesting to me with her work, even though I just admire her so greatly, is that I have to go very slowly or I become dissociated and overwhelmed and extremely sad because there's so many implications for me. My mother had intense trauma before the age of three, and there's intense dissociative and disorganization patterns for me that I look at Beatrice Beebe's stuff and I'm like, oh my God, not only did that happen to me, but I did that to my son. So then I stop, I read a paragraph, I stop, I mourn for a month, I read another paragraph. Yeah. And that's so funny because as you were talking, which is why I kept saying, wow, because my head went in six, six different directions. One about my own mother and my relationship with her and her severe alcoholism. And, ah. um, and then I went to my children and, you know, thinking about, so I was like, my brain was just like yeah. firing away with the directions of my own parenting, my own parenting style. And then I started thinking, you know, from a practitioner point of view of, and a, and a lover of trauma and, and healing yeah. of this whole idea of, um, I, I want to say generational trauma, transgenerational, transgenerational, yeah, transgenerational trauma, trauma yeah. of 
my mother's trauma history, which I'm just now becoming aware of mm. how really horrific it was. I mean, mm-hmm. I used mm-hmm. things that happened, but not as bad as it was. And it's just now coming to light at 83 years old for her. And thinking about, wow, I wonder about that impact on myself and my sister because of, yeah, our very poor relationship with our with our mother. Yes, yeah. What happened to our mothers? Just this, uh, just like um, one year ago, right now, I saw a cousin that I haven't seen for since I was sixteen or something. So like forty years since I saw this wow. cousin. She had a newspaper clipping of my grandmother's divorce proceedings that were, that, that were about my grandfather trying to kill domestic violence, my grandfather trying to kill his family. And, um, and I was like, dang, here it is in black and white. Here's my mother's trauma history. Just extraordinarily captured in a newspaper article for goodness sake. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what that, oddly that my mom told us in her last hospital visit that I was when I was there was about her father holding a knife to her mother's throat and exactly you know, and just that and I and I remember standing there because I loved my grandpa and, uh. I, and my, my grandma I had no idea and I just heard, like standing at the end of the hospital bed my jaw open like, yeah. what yeah. <laughs> what yeah. She and she was crying and sobbing and finally, finally releasing it. Wow. And um, I mean, it was a very powerful healing moment for her. But yeah, too, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, you know, I mean, for those of us who have maybe struggled for a couple decades trying to, you know, get solid ground with a, these mothers who were so compromised, it's this. It's a very interesting step to step into going. Well, heck, no wonder. Yeah. And. You know, it's kind of a movement into compassion, and um, and it's a movement that I, I want to encourage any listeners not to do too quickly. Only do it when you're ready. Yes. Yeah. 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 Take your I, time. Take your time to be angry. Take your time to actually exist in your own pain before you go to, yeah. Yeah. yeah what a beautiful way to put that. And I, I talked about this um, a couple of episodes ago, but... Um, it, it made me think about when I came to a place of forgiveness with the, the bank robber who had held the gun to my head and then three months later came back and murdered my coworker. And I, when I finally came to a place of forgiveness with him, I remember the moment of thinking, you know, he and I were both born these innocent little creatures. Uh... Somewhere along the way, he made this choice to to go down this road but then i thought i don't i didn't know his story i don't know not that i was making excuses for him but i don't know what had happened to him i his trauma history and um again i was able to take a step back from his actions and forgive him Mm. um because i i didn't know i don't know what happened to him Mm. And um, it was very releasing and freeing for me. So, but yeah, I certainly, certainly went through the anger and the sadness part of it. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, you had uh, some time to be able to what that, the effects that had on you before you stepped into that forgiveness process. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else that you want to talk about or touch on before we part? Oh, 
uh, well, it's been a real pleasure to be in this space with you. I'm just really grateful for the space oh, that you create. Yeah, you. yeah. I've loved it. You have my, again, you've got my brain going, and I, I'm loving every minute of it. What fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, um, so I, I don't know. I think I, we've dropped some tantalizing hints yes. for our for our listeners to follow. They can they can do some meditations. They can read a paragraph of Beatrice Beebe at a time. They can <laughs> they can um, continue to hang out with you in this beautiful space with the healing the healing uh, place podcast and and. Um, and and they can get a little seeds of hope maybe yeah. that their that their strength and that their beauty is right there just waiting to be disentangled from the trauma strings yes beautiful well i am honored that you have joined me on the show and uh, I'm honored to be here yeah what a blessing so mm-hmm. all right thank you and thank, thank you for shining your light of hope into the world and all you do. Uh, thank you, Terry. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Mm. Bye-bye.